Our scripture this morning is the story of the disciples after Easter, and it's not what's in the bulletin, so if you'd like to follow along, it'll be projected up on the screens. So hear these words from Luke 24, verses 5 through 7. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. The word of God for the people of God. So one of the, the blessings and curses of a long tenure in a place is that you go through a great deal of change. Um, this week, as I was flipping through some old photos and things on Facebook, isn't it lovely that your memories remain forever now? Um, I realized that when I got to this place in 2010, um, I didn't look like this. <laughs> uh, for lots of reasons. <laughs> um, but mostly, uh, mostly this. Oh. Yeah. I didn't used to wear glasses. Uh, some of you, and now I really need to, so <laughs> those of you who wear them um, might remember your life before glasses and your life after. I, I was kind of pondering uh, this because I, I can remember the first day that I got glasses. Again, Facebook, <laughs> helpful here. Um, I had this astounding moment because I had gone to the eye doctor because I was kind of getting headaches and I was having some trouble looking at a computer screen, and the doctor asked me some strange questions like, um, are stop signs fuzzy before you get up to them? And um, do you have to move the book closer when you're reading? You know, crazy things. Um, and I remember getting them out of the box and putting them on for the first time, and like kind of doing this number, because the world looked so different. <laughs> and my eyesight actually isn't, isn't that bad, um, but what it is is that I am nearsighted in one eye and farsighted in the other, and so it just plays havoc with, with how I see things. I'm really great if I stare at one spot for a long time. Um, but other than that, it's just insanity. But I had been like that my entire life. So if things were a little fuzzy around the edges, or if it took a second, you know, when you looked at something close and you looked at something far away and there's just a little lag time, I thought that was normal. That was my reality. I had just come to expect that that's what the world looked like. And it wasn't until I put on these funny things, which are now, I'm realizing, probably going to have to be replaced soon, um, <laughs> that there was this change that I realized it wasn't actually what the world looked like, but what I expected the world to look like. And a small thing made a huge difference. Do any of you kind of remember that moment? Or maybe there's another time in your life where your expectations were challenged, and you realized that you were letting the way you thought the world was shape what it actually was. We have this tendency as people to let our expectations shape 
our reality. We, we heard it today both in the scripture and in the video, right? We heard the expectations of Peter and of John. If you joined in early enough uh, to catch the video at the beginning of worship, um, you heard them kind of having this discussion directly post-resurrection. Peter comes running in and he has seen that the tomb is empty and his first thought is they took him. We have to mobilize the troops. We have to go and find them. This is a plot to take us down. And it really takes John a few minutes to talk him out of that initial panic. <coughs> See, Peter, like most of the disciples, had very clear expectations for who he thought Jesus was. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Well, you are Lord. He called him king. And he knew what it was to call someone king. Peter was a good Jew. He'd grown up probably memorizing portions of what we call the Old Testament. And so he knew the stories of the ancient Israelite kings, of David and of Solomon. He knew the way they led armies and protected their people. He'd heard the prophecies again and again, and, and he'd probably sat with family and wondered, when would the king come again to challenge the Romans? He'd probably, in his own lifetime, seen Jewish revolutionaries rise up and gather followers and promise that they were the new king of the Jews. See, Jesus wasn't a new thing in ancient Judea. There were those before him who said, I am king of the Jews. And most of them gathered an army. And most of them tried to take on Rome. And my good students of history will know what happens when a small ragtag army takes on the Roman legion. It did not end well. And so the expectation that Jesus was king came laden with so much. And it has been dashed for Peter and for John. See, in the ancient world, Jews had a good test for a prophet. If you were a prophet in ancient Israel, and they had a lot of them, so they developed a, a good test. So here is your ancient wisdom for the day. A prophet is true if what they say happens. Oh, first, first service got the joke. It's okay. Uh, it's right. It's not deep wisdom, right? If what they say happens, then they're probably right. But if they end up dead, well, probably not. Seems like basic common sense. But Luke, Luke doesn't play with common sense. That's not really his way of working. Actually, Luke throughout his gospel has been playing with this idea of those who can see and those who can't. He's been defying expectations. One of his major themes is that when you encounter Jesus, it's going to shift the way you see the world. It's going to shatter all of those expectations and it's going to open your eyes to a new way of being. 
fun game for your devotional time this week. I invite you to go through Luke and, and see just how many times he talks about sight or eyes or blindness. How often is that metaphor present? In fact, you're going to find that the very first proclamation of Jesus about his ministry when he stands in the local temple and says, I will proclaim sight to the blind. This is how he begins. And Luke plays with this image over and over and over, and it comes to its climax here with the women at the tomb. There's another version of this icon uh, that I, I couldn't get a large enough picture to show you on screen, but it actually, in that empty space, has Jesus kind of sitting there, and no one sees him. This is really fun play because they have come to the tomb expecting to grieve. They have come to the tomb expecting to see it sealed and, and often early in the morning, you know, I know it's pre-coffee, so they were probably a little bleary-eyed and they come down and they're probably talking about how they're going to roll the stone away and, and they do not greet what they expect to see. When they get there, in fact, they find strangers, and they're afraid. Women were frightened, and they bowed their face to the ground. And what do the strangers say? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here. You are looking in the wrong place. Now, 2,000 years later, I think it's fair that sometimes we miss the revelatory nature of this moment. I was a church kid from birth up. I heard this story once a year for years. Um, I heard it before I can remember it. So, of course, Jesus is risen. Of course, he came out of the tombs women. It's gonna be empty. But stop, stop and hold this for just a second, really. I mean, you may have heard the old saying, right? There are only two sure things in life. Death and taxes, right? Is it really so surprising that the women expected him to be dead? They saw him die. In some ways, for humans, this is like the most basic expectation in the world, that everything that lives will eventually die. Every story the world tells us sets the expectation that it will end in death. I don't think we should judge the women too harshly. They saw him die. The natural, logical, common sense move is that he will be in that tomb. Really, when you think about it, the whole, the rules of the entire world are rewritten in this moment. Everything they know has to be refocused. So it's fair if there's a little lag time between expectation and what they see. This is a whole new 
reality where the dead don't stay dead. And then what is the, what's the next thing they say? They begin to remember. See, Jesus knew he was a different kind of king. He knew it would not be the same as it had been before. And he has never lied to the disciples about this. In your exploration of Luke, you will see this this week. He has told them again and again and again, I will die. I will be raised. This is how it's going to happen. But until they are presented with that reality, until the world is flipped upside down, they can't really see what it's going to mean. It is just too far outside of their expectations to possibly be reality until it is. It is indeed, I think, still human nature to assume that the world is going to be as we perceive it. We assume that, that if something looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, that it is in fact a duck. Although nowadays it might be a duck with batteries in it and automation. We are never prepared for our expectations to be confounded. And I worry that this is true of Jesus in our day as much as it was for the women. You know, it's funny, the women, they have this crazy encounter at the tomb, and they are told by angels, don't look for him among the, lit, among the dead, he's alive. And they run back and they tell the disciples, the male disciples, and you know what their first response is? They laugh at them. Scripture uses the nice word, they ridiculed them. It's too far out to be believed. And then they start to remember. And then they start to just shift. It's not that the words that Jesus said had changed, but the way that they see them slowly takes on a new focus. But it is a focus completely counterintuitive to our nature. It is a focus that says the world is not as we perceive it to be, but that the world should be as God wills it. And even death will not stop that. I have watched over the last few months, um, again, Facebook. It is fun to have friends who are very conservative and friends who are very liberal and friends, lots of them who are in between and really just want to post cat pictures. I like those people. It's been interesting to see how many people all over the spectrum claim Jesus. And I wonder if sometimes we don't look, we aren't looking for him to be king that we know and understand rather than the kind of king that he really is. When we claim Jesus for our politics, when we say that it must be this way or that, and, and we use his name to justify very worldly things, no matter which side you're on, I wonder, are we looking for the living among the dead? 
Are we assuming that the powers and principalities of this world offer the salvation that only God can do? Now, I know, I've read Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city, I'm there. But what I'm saying is, Jesus is a different kind of king. Not one that could be claimed for the politics of Rome, not one that could be claimed for the politics of Jewish revolutionaries, and not one that can be claimed for ours today. If you would look for Jesus, he's not in a Capitol building in Austin or D.C., at least not solely. I think we have to learn this lesson with the disciples that we ought to look for Jesus where he said he would be. It was only in the light of his death that they remembered. And I think the great gift of the Easter season is to remind us in the light of his death and resurrection that it is easy to look for Jesus in the wrong place. But the story calls us to see again, to take new lenses that show us Jesus not where we expect him to be, but where he is, where he's always been. Christ said, I will be with you to the end of the age. Christ said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Christ said, when you see one who is hungry or who is thirsty, who is in prison, who is alone, that's me. See, we serve the God who is Emmanuel, who is always as close as breath, and as our neighbor. The Easter season invites us to open our eyes and see that Jesus and understand where he is calling us to go, to imagine again the people he has intended us to be. Often we celebrate Easter like it is one day, and it's a great Sunday, right? Brass and lilies and amazing celebration. But Easter, Easter is 50 days long. Christ spent 50 days explaining to his disciples what it meant that he was back. It took that long for him to refocus them on the work that lay ahead. And so that's what we're going to do as a church together. We begin with this story, the first resurrection story. And over the next few Sundays, we're going to tell other stories of people who encountered the risen Christ, and it radically shifted the way they saw the world. We're calling it awakening, a chance to have your eyes opened to what Christ is doing, both in the biblical story and what he might be at work doing in your own life. And so I invite you to come along on this journey, to take up new lenses, to see the world not as we perceive it to be, but perhaps as God hopefully wills it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.